This is Damon Albarn, and you're listening to Hallelujah Monkeys, the number one gorillas podcast in the world. Hello and welcome to Hallelujah Monkeys for the beginning of July. My name is Dylan Flynn. My name is Trevor Ickrath. I Everybody wanted to know, Trevor, if I would live... To record this episode of, of about this album, I was sounding pretty pretty bad uh, on our emergency episode, but I'm feeling a little bit better, feeling quite a bit better, actually. Put your fears to bed. He's going to make it, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to make it. He's here to talk about the new Gorillaz album. Ramona seems to have dodged the bullet. I wonder if there's something to this whole, you know, breast milk makes you invincible thing, you know? Well, this isn't an episode of Hallelujah Milkies, so good point. we won't be talking about it now. <laughs> Very good point. Instead, Feel free to research that on your own time. <laughs> I'll have to drop back to the line on that one. Uh, I guess I guess, in, because it's not Hallelujah Milkies, and in fact Hallelujah Monkeys, we should follow our, our own goddamn format and get into the Gorillas News. Let's talk about the Gorillas News. It's all good Oh, Trevor. Oh, Trevor. Uh, very exciting because it's album release week. I don't have anything like charts or streaming numbers yet, but I mean, I'm not expecting a lot because, of course, th- there was a Drake album release. Yeah, Scorpion. Uh, and it's very silly because it's this like 90 minute massive album, and clearly it's designed to game the system. Like, if you dump you know 40 tracks you're gonna have great streaming numbers for that album that like nobody can touch and that might break records and shit so it's very it's very silly we haven't talked about it at all in the program but can we just take a moment to appreciate that like the biggest l of drake's career was handed to him by a gorillas collaborator push a t <laughs> yeah absolutely. like nobody nobody thinks about that angle of it do they no no yeah. a gorillas collaborator was the one who first clued us into the uh, existence of Drake's child. His secret, his secret son that he was hiding from the world. You are hiding a child. Very good. And and that's... that's It might as well have been 2D himself who <laughs> <laughs> called out our boy. Yeah, I you know, from everything I've heard and from the snippets I've heard, it's not a great record. Uh, I'm like the biggest Drake fan I know, and I don't enjoy you're it. You're the biggest Drake fan I yeah, know. Yeah, and I just theory. don't like it. I don't know. He's losing his touch, maybe. Who knows? He, he needs to go away yeah. and dream it all up again. But obviously, you know, biggest recording, biggest living recording artist in the world releases, you know, 40 tracks all at once. There's no way our little 11-track album that could can really make much of a splash. No. Whatever. No. Whatever. Oh, well. We, got, we still got news to talk about, Trevor. Damon, if it makes you feel better, I've heard people saying nothing but nice things about this record, whereas the overall opinion about the Drake thing seems to be a big shrug. So, yep. chin up. Uh, okay, so let's get into the, the Gorillaz news. First of all, we've got, we've got activity on the free Murdoch front. Uh, in the form of a new voicemail from Murdoch in, in Wormwood Scrubs Prison on freemurdoch.com, Trevor. Do we have a clip to play or anything like that? You know what? I would, but it's long and rambly, and so much of it is just kind of like resetting everything we've already heard about what's going on with him. But he's really trying to sort of funnel you towards this page where you can buy <laughs> the free Murdoch campaign pack. Uh Okay. So his idea is that if you if you start if you buy a bunch of free Murdoch swag, it'll raise awareness for the movement and that'll gain him his freedom. 
Uh, Dylan, I'm having I'm having Stylo Hot Wheels model car flashbacks. <laughs> Can I talk to you about what's in this pack? It's it's weird. Sure, sell me on this. Sell me on it. Okay, so it costs you eighty nine dollars in U S dollars because gorillas are an American band. Yeah, uh, you get one hashtag Free Murdoch Rally T shirt. Stylish. You get one hashtag Free Murdoch pin, which is very cool looking. And then it's got also one Make Gorillas Great Again baseball cap. Oh, my gosh. Really? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's like the prize item of the bunch, I think. Yeah. I would wear uh, that. You get a personalized hand. <laughs> to a gorilla show, not in public. No, of course. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you get a personalized handwritten letter from Murdoch Nichols in real pen ink. <laughs> and then you get two bonus mystery items. Now, you might think that that's, that's going to be some kind of ultimate let down right because this is this band we're talking about but yep the thing that makes me wonder and and perhaps against my better judgment begin again to build up hope for this is that the pack's going to ship out in four separate shipments trevor over the summer uh-huh so the first shipment will have that letter in it the second one is going to have the hat the shirt and the pin and then each of the two mystery items is their own separate shipment okay Right. I don't even, I'm not even going to venture a guess. I'm not going to stand here and tell you there's going to be some kind of a, a super deluxe bonus track thing that you'll get if you buy this thing. It would be, it would be immoral and unethical of me to suggest such a thing. Uh, but the idea is that you, you get all this swag, you wear it to a gorilla show, somehow that results in freeing Murdoch. Now, Trevor, I got to ask you, should we go in on this together and get one of these packs? Well, Gorillaz has never really set any precedence for letting down the people that invest money in it. So, yeah, I say, why don't we go for it? <laughs> well, that's the insurance policy. I figure let's both, because they don't even have the shirt in my size anyway. So, like, we'll just divvy up the spoils. We'll each go in halfsies on this thing. And then, oh, we are going to fight over that hat, buddy. Oh, yeah, I know. It's going to be rough. <laughs> well, maybe we'll have to have joint custody of the hat. We'll have to come up with some We'll have to come up with some listener competition for them to decide which one of us gets the hat. Oh, that's a great idea. That's a really good idea. Okay, uh, so so you heard it here first. Until <laughs> the Trevor are going to go in on a free Murdoch campaign pack. Uh, here's the next thing. Again, okay, so there was this, this big announcement that was like, Hey, check YouTube out tomorrow at 5 p.m. at this time zone for a big surprise. And then it was like, there's going to be a live Gorillaz Q&A on YouTube. And everybody was like, oh, my God, remember back in Phase 4, the cool motion capture stream where they were answering people's questions and shit? That was a lot of fun. That didn't happen, though. Bummer. So there was a countdown that was ticking down. And when it got to zero, it was like, Okay, the Q&A is happening here in the YouTube comments. Ugh. <laughs> Which, Trevor, YouTube comments are impossible to navigate as is. I mean, is there is there a more loathsome place on the internet than a YouTube comment section? Oh, for sure. But also just like in terms of functionality. Yeah. Like how, did, how does YouTube even decide what's at the top and the bottom? So it was it was a very hard thing to get. Fortunately, I found some some nice redditor collected all the answers into like one big reddit thread. Uh and I got to say even the answers were like a lot shorter and less fun than those AMAs from Phase 4. So it was the whole thing across the board was not was not something I was super into, but we did get some tidbits and I thought I'd share them with you, Trevor. Sure, what were some highlights? 
Uh, Noodle's favorite album is So Sad, So Sexy by... Is that is, is that artist pronounced her name Likely? I've, I've always said it Likey Lee. Could be Likey Lee. I don't know how she says it. I'm sorry. Uh, Russell is considering becoming a chili farmer if he ever quits the music industry. Okay, I could, I could see it. Somebody asked about the Boogeyman, and Russell said that the Boogeyman went on to be an extra in Boogie Nights. But I don't think those timelines match up, Trevor. Well, I see in the notes you spelled Boogie like B-O-O-G-E-Y. Is that how he spelled it? Because if so, that's, yeah, that's not the Paul Thomas Anderson film with, uh, what's his name, Marky Mark. That's how he spelled it. Uh, somebody asked Noodle if Noodle likes girls, and her answer really lit the internet up, uh, Trevor. Twitter was going buck wild. Were they? Uh, because she said, in this day and age, I find it limiting to place any tags on myself. I like everyone. There you go. It's out. She's out. So Noodle, Noodle, canon, pansexual? Can we, is that safe to say? I, she, she says she doesn't want to label it, so let's just, let's just let her do her thing. Probably the biggest story, other than the new album being out that we're going to be reviewing, is the is the live stream that happened, Trevor, on on Boilerroom.tv. Right, the where they played. debuted the album front to back. They did the whole damn thing, and we didn't watch it when it happened, right? Because no, we abstained because we wanted to hear the songs on the album first. Right, and so then today, before the record, after after I'd really spent some serious goddamn time with this record, I said, okay. Let's see what the let's see what the fellows are doing with this thing live on stage. Uh, did you also watch this concert, Trevor? Yeah, I did. I, I thought it was uh, pretty not exactly like illuminating because I already really enjoyed a lot of these songs, but it definitely did give me some new ideas about them and let me see them in slightly different lights. I thought they were some really good performances. My takeaway was that for the most part, the performances were very, very close to studio. Totally. Yeah. And I'm sure maybe we'll see some, you know, experimentation as they continue to play with it, but I can see them wanting to give us just a pretty straight read of the album, considering it was like the first time a lot of people were going to be hearing it. I, I, I was pretty impressed, honestly, with the performance. Because not, you know, when I go see a band do a concert, I'm not really looking for, you know, one-to-one studio experience. But just that I, I don't really think about Gorillaz as a band that's super good at recreating the, stu- the studio sound on stage. Uh, and I was just kind of impressed with kind of how much of the Sonics and the performances on the Now Now were were pretty much, you know, just right out of the case uh, during that concert, including Damon's vocals. Damon sounded tip-top shape, in my opinion. I think the fact that uh, the Now Now has uh, is arranged a lot more for full band performances, more so than their previous albums, it's a lot to do with that as well. Definitely, definitely. I was, uh, I was very surprised with how detailed all of the visuals were, Trevor. We got some cool visuals, yeah. Did you, did you notice Murdoch didn't pop up until the very end? Oh, the best part of the whole concert, you mean? When, when <laughs> Damon starts singing, during Sukai, when Damon starts singing, I will always think about you, and a so giant good. Murdoch Nichols fades <laughs> on to the Jumbotron, like... Maybe the best moment in a in a film <laughs> Gorillas concert performance ever. <laughs> yeah, I definitely noticed it, Trevor. <laughs> but there were a lot of cool visuals. The Kansas one was cool and had some animation in it. Uh, they all kind of had their own little 
perspective and, and mood and take, you know, like what what about the one with the like three D car with Russell and two D <laughs> in it? And then it yeah. pulled back for a second and you saw that somebody had like spray painted like Pisscock on it. Great. <laughs> Jamie's back. He's yeah. back. Yeah. They, much better I think than anything we saw in the in, in phase four. Save maybe out of body. Out of body had a pretty cool one. Phase four had some cool stuff going on, but yeah, I was very impressed by this. I kind of got the sense that Jamie was like off in TV land trying to get things moving for a lot of Phase 4 and didn't have as much time to put together the... the Right, but I read in some interviews that he was in the studio the entire time while they were recording the Now Now. Interesting. Yeah, that would make sense that he was, you know, conceptualizing along with them and whatnot. I, I saw Damon say that that made it feel more like a Gorillaz album than it ever has in the past. Cool. Very yeah. cool. That's a good transition to, to the roundtable, though, right? Considering what we're going to be talking about today. Oh, what are we talking about today? I, I haven't looked at my notes. We're talking about the new Gorillaz album, The Now Now. Oh, shit. I should probably listen to it. Yeah, get on that. Dylan, we gave our first impressions about the new Gorillaz album a couple days ago on our emergency episode, but we're finally here to talk about it in depth with a track-by-track review. I know you were a little a little lukewarm on it your first listen. It was maybe kind of evading you. Tell me, though, how has it grown on you these past couple days? What do you think about the now, now, now? <laughs> so a lot of our listeners seem to be pretty disappointed or maybe even scandalized by my muted response to the now now um i'm not quite ready to to get quite there yet trevor can i can i go can i zoom out a little bit first and talk about the now now sure take me back back up so damon's been like on the verge of apologizing for humans as he does press for the now now which is something that's been making me feel kind of bummed out i think i think humans is a pretty staggering achievement and and i think it's a just a really essential, like, in the wake of the Donald Trump era piece of art, pop art. Uh, I love it. It's it's my second favorite Gorillaz album, and I and I think it's brilliant. And I I hope that it sort of gets a, gets a another look, another Passover from from as time continues on. But there but there is something to that idea that Damon like came back to this project after that long break with a kind of a certain idea about what Gorillaz was in his head. You know, there were a lot of, like, interviews around that time where he says, well, you know, Gorillaz, synthesizers, collaborators, etc., you know? Right. Uh, And humans very much reflected that, here's what I remember Gorillaz being uh, uh, mode of the band. And then as he toured, we really started to see, like, Damon open himself up to kind of the history of the band and, and... you did get a sense that, like, he felt differently about Gorillaz by the end of that tour than he did at the beginning of that tour. Um, so there is something interesting to the idea of, of Damon, like, hot on the heels of humans making this not necessarily companion album, but follow-up album that, like, challenges those notions of, of what Gorillaz is supposed to be. And then 
on top of that, you you sent me that uh, quote from that uh, Radio X interview where Damon was talking about one particular element of his partnership with uh, James Ford, his his producer collaborator on this album, uh, where he said uh, he called him the sense police. He wants everything to make sense. And so this is like the first time I've ever seen Damon say this in an interview, but he comes out and says like, Traditionally with Gorillaz, I haven't really finished anything off completely, and I've just let the first time I've sung something stick if it felt right, which is, I think, the very explicitly, like, a Gorillaz thing that Damon does. You know, we've talked about it before. Gorillaz is really his, like, id band. Yeah, so so it, it kind of felt like, for the now-now, like, not only did he not have any collaborators to hide behind, he had to, like, come up to the front of the stage himself. He also couldn't really obscure himself behind any vagaries you know he had to sit down make a gorillas album you know himself put himself out there and make a coherent statement while he did it which is like a really interesting place for a gorillas album to be coming from and do you remember trevor back in our rise of the ogre uh, episode one of our one of my discussion questions to you is like could you imagine what a Gorillaz album in a timeline where 9-11 never happened might have sounded like, and we kind of, like, scratched our heads over it for a while and didn't really come up with anything interesting to say. Do you recall? Sure, yeah, definitely. I feel like the Now Now is kind of the closest we get to that timeline because I think he's really... In a more mature, fully realized way, he is looking at, like, pop music industry shit and disposable fame shit from a more mature perspective than his kind of 2001 era thumbing my nose at uh, at pop idol, you know, fuck all you guys punk rock attitude and like this more settled like this is what the music industry is to me, this is what fame is to me on this record, at least in my interpretation of it, Trevor. Uh, I also think it's kind of Damon Albarn's To Pimp a Butterfly, but I guess we'll get into that. Sure, I'm interested to hear about that. But yeah, I definitely can see what you're saying about uh, this being almost like a like alternate timeline sequel to the original Gorillaz album. Yeah. Like definitely. this could very much be like, you know, a lot of bands follow up their first record with an album about what it's like now that they've blown up and with like songs about life on the road or something. Yeah. And there's an alternate universe where this is a record about the first Gorillaz tour. Definitely, definitely. Or maybe like the second or third after a couple of albums that we never get to hear because they're from that timeline. Yeah, you know? I like that a lot. So so after we recorded our emergency episode, I, I, I put the record on a couple more times. And I, you know, while I liked it a little bit better, each of those plays, I was still kind of feeling di- disappointed by the end of that evening. Wow, okay. And then Saturday rolled around and honestly, I was like avoiding putting it on i like did some chores and errands because i was just dreading this idea that like i'd i'd have to come back to you on sunday and report that like there's a new gorillas album and it's not really doing it for me so finally at like 4 p.m i was like okay dude did to to genuinely review this record you need to like listen to it through like you know 20 times this is going to be what you have to say about this gorillas album on your gorillas podcast you better fucking get down to it you know as as de la soul once said stakes is high stakes is high uh you know how when you get to know an album that has a lot of depth there's always that song that's like six or seven tracks into the record that you always kind of overlooked but then eventually it opens itself up to you and you're like oh god this is actually one of the best ones on the record it's just got it's got a subtler 
approach, but it's so rich and I'm and I love it so much. You know, every planet is one of those on a gorilla's record. There's a lot of them. I, I think Lucky is one of those for me on OK Computer. Anyhow, uh, I kind of feel like every song on the Now is that song for me now. Cool, uh, great. My appreciation for this thing has just grown in like leaps and bounds. And once once the album started to like really open up to me sonically. I also started to get all these themes and started to find myself really, really drawn into the like almost pseudo narrative uh, of the record. And and I will say I'm going to say a sentence right now that is almost as shocking for me to say as it might be for you to hear, Trevor, which is that. OK, I think the now now is my third favorite Gorillaz album. Sick. I like it. I'm excited by this. I can't wait to hear what you think. I'm so glad that it's grown so much for you. Over such a short period of time. Massively. Your third favorite. Interesting. I can't wait to put it on like once I'm done recording with you. And I've been doing nothing but listening to it for for more than 24 hours. It's just like pleasant and you like it and it just sneaks up on you. And there's this feeling where, you know, even the even the lower or slower moments on the record are of of a of a impressive standard of quality at least in my opinion definitely there's always something going like that there's no part of this album that i don't find myself enjoying for sure for sure uh i actually gave three uh gorillatives last time i want to swap one of them out i think okay so i said tender solid and deliberate i think i'm gonna get rid of deliberate i, I do think it's a pretty good gorillative to this uh record but i want to throw in one that kind of touches on the thematic stuff that I'm going to be trying to unpack as we go through this thing. So I'm going to swap it out for detoxifying. Ooh, I like it. I think that there's a a pseudo-narrative on the Now Now that's about trying to exhume or exercise a piece of yourself that you need to leave behind in order to be healthy and happy. And I'm going to kind of... I am all for that. I'll take us through it as we go there. I'm extremely excited... To hear your gorillatives, Trevor. I've been thinking about it ever since we stopped recording on Thursday. Uh, my first gorillative for the now now is acquiescent. Oh, interesting. Take me through that. This is a real. I think this is a real. It, it, this is an album that is fine with giving you what you want. It's a real crowd pleaser, I think. And like you were explaining earlier, how uh, over the course of the Humans tour, we saw Damon get a little more into gorillas. Yeah, I think this is like arguably a gorillas album made by a gorillas fan like it is almost like um like i hesitate to bring this up but i'm sure you saw going around the internet a couple days ago there was like a big thing that was like uh, a a small group raising like two million dollars to remake the last jedi (laughs) yeah i saw that like i imagine if gorillas fans had gotten together and like raised some money and wanted to make a gorillas album this is probably what we would have gotten like really Damon heavy, like very <laughs> hooky, like, lots of diverse instrumentation. I know exactly what you mean by that. Like mm-hmm. there is a different quality to this because it's being made by somebody who's really into this project, you know? What do you, what do, do, can you like just picture Damon like getting really into gorillas and going back and listening to the records like in chronological order and just having the same reaction as like one of those like typical gorillas fans that's like, you know, I was doing okay here, but I, there's just not enough of my vocals on it. It's weird that I don't come in until track four, really. The interesting thing about crowd pleasing is yes, I, I absolutely agree with you that like it's sort of giving the people what they wanted. But these hooks are, I love the hooks on this record, but they're not the big, like, dumb gorillas hooks that I think the people are used to. I think the hooks on this record 
are much more textured and interesting. The thing is that the thing is that humans gave us like big dumb gorillas hooks that people were used to, but they just didn't really land this time around. Sure, I feel that. I can feel that. And like what the fans wanted for some reason seemed like more songs like Broken and like maybe the Plastic Beach title track and stuff like that and I feel like we got an album resembling Those that cuts. genre of yeah, gorilla songs. Yeah. I totally agree. Yeah, it's like these were all the ones that could have made it onto humans but didn't in favor of getting like more collaborators on there. This tight, tight 11-track, 40-minute album of solid middle-of-the-album cuts. Yep, it's so, so interesting, and I like that we have it. I like that we have it. But that brings us to my second correlative, which uh, isn't as, like, um, flattering as the first one, maybe. Safe? Okay, yeah. Like, because it's crowd-pleasing and dependable and reliable, it doesn't really take as many risks as we've seen Damon take on previous Gorillaz records. And so there aren't really as many rewards either. And so, like, while I like everything going on here, there aren't as many mind-blowing moments that I'm used to getting on a Gorillaz record with maybe more diverse sounds on it and a more expensive cast. I would say that, like, the the weirdness factor of this record has been dialed down to, like, single elements within songs rather than entire songs. Like, yeah. There's nothing... There's nothing, there's no moments on this record that you're just like, what the fuck is that? Definitely not. No. Yeah. And honestly, I do miss that. Like, I think when like, say Snoop Dogg comes in on Hollywood, I think is a great moment in the record. And I could have used maybe like one or two more tracks with a big collaborator showing up just to kind of inject some ups and downs to it. I definitely think to the extent that there will be a now, now hate camp, it's going to be predicated on that factor. It's a little dull. Yeah. But dully enjoyable. Sure. And my third correlative, uh, which I think I'll be talking about quite a bit on the episode, is Traveled. Fuck yeah. Because I think this works as such a good uh, sequel to the last Gorillaz album that came out right after another one, as I talked about on the emergency episode, The Fall. The Fall. Because it really does feel like Damon has made another tour album and an album about being on tour to me. Uh, I just think this time he waited until he got back to finish writing and recording it, as we know. Right. And there are so many things on this record that I think are like indicative of the way that you feel about like a vacation when you're on it and when you feel about the vacation once you've gotten home. Exactly. That's the key difference. And and traveled is the past tense, you know, because it's like there's a reflective thing. Yep. Bang up job. Bang up job, Trevor. <laughs> hey, you did a great job too. <laughs> great. <laughs> now that the love fest is has officially commenced. Should we uh, should we kick this uh, track by track off? Let's talk about humility. Calling the world from isolation. Cause right now that's the ball where we be trained. You know what I did, Trevor, before uh, or like you know maybe. 10 listens into this record was try to imagine what humility would sound at without George Benson on it. He really does add a lot, doesn't he? That guitar work is so good. It's very liquidy and funky and just, it just washes over you and makes you feel happy. I think that, I think that without the, without George Benson's part, the vibe of humility would be a lot more like directly like the rest of the record. Uh, but with him there, it's it's like this amazingly, it's this sunburst of a of a track, and I started to feel like 
that sunshine like almost photosynthesizes the rest of the record like you you kind of the momentum that it pushes you with really gets you through that the rest of that record which has some you know much darker murkier spots on it for sure i think in my notes for this song i originally wrote uh it almost feels like damien is cheating by making this one the opener because like <laughs> it's impossible to hear it and to not just like feel full of life and happiness i think definitely definitely it's like the reverse last living souls in a way <laughs> Totally. Yeah, it's like it's like this album picks up at the end of Demon Days where the clouds have just parted and the sun is finally out. The state of, of, of synth strings, Trevor, has gotten, like, too good. It has progressed to the point that for pop music purposes, I don't think it's ever worth spending the money on a string section again, which makes me feel really bad for, like, professional violinists and the whatnot, you know? Like, they'll never get replaced in their, in their symphonic records, but... Those those synth strings sound perfect on this song, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of all the electronics on this track. Like when they're really going at the end, and everything really swells, and Damon is singing uh, like the bridge underneath like the chorus. It's just it's such a like thrilling, cathartic climax. Do you have a take on how Damon employs the the megaphone effect on not just this song but across the record? Honestly, it's become such a big thing with Gorillaz now, I barely even notice it. It was one of the things that was really holding me back on my first few listens, because I, you know, like, I understand that Damon's, like, not a fan of his own voice. Uh, Lennon famously had the same problem and would, like, really buddy up with producers who would put a lot of effects on it, because it just made his voice, like, more tolerable for him to hear. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you just kind of want a producer to sort of kick him in the ass and say, look, you got a beautiful voice, just, like, let it do its thing, you know? Yeah, and and I guess James Ford really did have a lot of muscle in the studio, but I guess that wasn't a point he brought up. No, but the thing that he does do differently than on humans, and it might just be because there's much longer Damon sections than on any, you know, than on most humans tracks, is that he really does modulate the intensity, like, within a song. So it always feels like Damon's kind of moving closer and further away from you, depending on what section of a song you're in, you know? That that actually, I started to get into it when I was noticing, like, how layered the effect was on this record, actually. That's cool. Okay, so I one of the things that I really like about this record is I feel like the production is very detailed. Uh, so on each of these tracks, I try to pick out, like, my favorite little flourish on each of the songs, you know? Fun. What do you got for this one? So on this one, it's it's... It's after that sec in the second verse when he sings uh, "Right now, that's the ball where we be chained." That little, like, very rich sounding synth that goes "wee wee wee wee." You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. I love that. That's so good. And this album's full of those little flourishes. I really like it. I wonder if that was James or Damon or a combination of the two. I don't know. There's some moments that I'm almost sure synthesizer wise come from James because I because of my familiarity with his like Simeon Mobile Disco style. Remy also worked on this album too, right? Yeah, Remy was the was the third producer. I don't exactly know how that all shakes out, but uh but I know that James played a shitload of instruments on this record. That's that's for goddamn sure. Uh, I've really come around to your interpretation of this song, by the way, as, as kind of being about Damon rekindling his partnership with Jamie. Oh, that I feel like it's more about that than ever, yeah. And, and I love like um, I love some of the lyrics uh, seen in that light, too. Like, if you're coming back to find me, you better have good aim. That feels like just such a great, like, pithy little remark that I yeah. can see being a reference to something they might have said to each other during their last conversation during the breakup or something. Just like it a lot. But I also see that, that call that he's making from isolation as being 
connected to the call that he'll make later on the album at the end of the album on Sukai. So I think that there is a connection there, but I'll I'll get into it when we're on Sukai. Uh, Stay tuned. I really like that lyric, reset myself and get back on track, because it reminds me of that quote from the Beats 1 interview about the Now Now, where he, where he called it a reset record. Yep. It really feels like a, a gorilla song about a gorilla song, for sure, right? And I like artists intentionally refocusing themselves. I'm a big fan of that, and I like songs about working on yourself and your like creative process. Definitely, definitely. Yep. Yeah, humility. I mean, it's it's no secret. We love this song. We've talked about it quite a bit on the program already. We're both big fans. It doesn't crack my top three, but I think the novelty of my number three might eventually wear off to the point where this one gets in here because I really do love this track. Humility is my number three. Nice. Uh, it's it's it. There's like I I've ended up with this unfortunate like three way tie for fourth, but I, mm-hmm. but humility is my number three. Cool. What about what do you think of this next one? Trans. I think it's my number one on the album. Sick. Cool. This is a jam. Love this one. Heavy Human League vibes here, which confirms that this is a 2D album. Oh, yeah. This is like one of the most 2D gorilla songs of all time, like since Ghost Train, probably. This first verse, Trevor, into the chorus might be my favorite stretch of lyrics on a gorilla song. I fucking love it. Uh, it okay. So throughout it, it feels like Damon's like talking to himself in the second person. So it starts with this this image of himself uh, masturbating to try to get enough dopamine to fall asleep, which is like this really great pathetic place for a song to start. Uh huh. And then it cuts to him coming home alone, drunk on a Saturday night, feeling like the walls are closing in around him. And then he's got that fucking line: "Do you turn into your effigy? Do you dance like this forever?" It's it's excellent, and I think it's really worth unpacking because. The effigy thing is is pretty key to my understanding of this record cover. Yeah, what do you make of that line? Why don't you explain that to me? Okay, so an effigy is a symbolic representation or a recreation of a person as, as an object. Uh, there's kind of two kinds of effigies. You either make one lovingly and put it on a shrine, or you make one out of hate and you burn it, you know? Mm-hmm. In my read of this record, this is the first lyric that will deal with the major theme here of, like, fame, public life, careerism, uh you know, mindless competition. And I think it's about Damon feeling alienated by his image as a public personality and also feeling trapped like he has to live up to it. In this case, like, being a 50-year-old man who still goes out on Saturday Saturdays to, like, drink and fucking rub elbows and shit. Uh, and the futility of it is that he knows that the effigy doesn't go on a shrine. You know, do you burn like me? Like, ultimately, he's going to wake up And the headlines are going to make fun of him for being a drunk 50-year-old. You know, like the tabloids are going to fucking take him to task again. So I see a lot of this album as dealing with the two daemons. The effigy, the heightened public daemon, and the man himself, the regular guy who's trying to, like, shed this this behavior, this version of himself. Interesting. Uh, I like it. It's also such a good hook, dude. It's probably my favorite hook on the record. So, so new order. I love Damon's, uh, like, super camped up vibrato when it goes... 
forever. So good. <laughs> yeah. Great? The falsettos he hits are great. I was so excited to hear him doing these kind of vocals over this kind of beat. When we like, um, are back around when like the, uh, the print work show happened and we were getting like early reports of what the humans song sounded like. This is what I expected. Like every track to sound like based on what I was hearing fans say. Yeah. And I'm glad that we finally have this song. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Yep. I love I okay, so my favorite flourish on this song is definitely that really like wet sounding wood block the boop boop that keeps happening mm-hmm. uh, every few measures. It's just like I don't know why it just for some reason it strikes me as so gorillazy as this little this little touch, you know. Uh but but it, there's a lot of close seconds on that. Like I love when the gain like cranks up really hard on the on the synth in uh, in this song and it like starts to get distorted is really awesome. Yeah, there's almost kind of like a, a lo-fi aspect about this one. Definitely, like it really feels like garage synth pop. There's like a really noisy synth solo during the uh, "Do you look like me? Do you burn?" during that bridge, which is that's super Simeon Mobile disco-y. That's like James Ford's thing for sure. Cool. I this like I don't know where it falls, but this feels like a favorite Gorilla song for me. Like, and also he fucking rips it live. This is what I'm really excited to see when we when we when we go to the Demon Days Festival for sure. Yeah, this one definitely stuck out to me on the Boiler Room set. I would not expect this to get cut. It seems like a fucking banger to me. Yeah, I could see this being a single. Although I guess they already have released like five. Is this next song a single? I don't know, but I always enjoy hearing it come on. It's Hollywood. Where the beautiful people at? You know, part of me still feels like I did on the emergency episode, which is that I, I think that the optimal place for Hollywood would have been a mid-tour single release, like Sleeping Powder. Yeah, it, it feels a little more like a garage palace. But I really like, I don't know, I like having it here. It feels almost like the Bobby and Phoenix, where it's like the, the obligatory kind of feature. It's absolutely essential for my thematic read of the record. I'll get into that in a second. But to me, the weakness of this song, Trevor, I would still put this like, this is probably like my second least favorite song on this record, if I'm honest. Uh, Really? Yeah, probably. This this is like top five or top six for me. Not mine. I know it's it's a favorite. To me, the weakness is is production. I, I think this song would be better with like a more memorable or melodic synth line in it somewhere. It's just so sparse, so low endy that it kind of, what it most reminds me of is like, Sometimes when you'd poke around the Phase 1 or Phase 2 Kong Studios website, you would hear a a Gorilla song playing in the next room and you'd just get the low-end bleed over through the wall or whatever. It's that sound to me where I'm like, it doesn't feel finish it feels like it's missing elements to me or something i could kind of see that but i think it, it sounds like a really good sequel to sex murder party i got nothing bad to say about jamie principal on this track he's a national fucking treasure no oh my god i'm so glad that he's back <laughs> i'm so glad that he gets more room to stretch out too definitely and his performance is excellent it really has almost like a david byrne quality towards it oh agreed. like especially when he goes like i'm gonna go walking all the way to the hills. Like, there's something about this song that really struck me when I was watching the Boiler Room performance that just really feels like a Speaking in Tongues era Talking Heads track, like Slippery People or something. I think his little his little punctuation of It's a Wonderful Thing makes the hook. It makes the hook. I love when he goes, exactly the way 
I like. Great. I would love for Damon and James Ford to pull a fucking Bravest Man and produce J.B. Principal's solo record. I think that would be... That would be very sick. The best. The best. Absolutely. (laughs) I think that my second problem with this song, and I hate to fucking say it because it's so much fun. You don't like the Snoop verse? I think that the Snoop verse is a, is an issue. I don't think he's writing this wave correctly. I think he. I think he sounds pretty good. I think it's a good verse, and I particularly love that lyric. Uh, they want to eye me down, tie me down, knock me off, but I'm a lion in the dog pound, which is like. Yep, I have that one in my notes too. It's such is, a good reminder of the time he uh, released a reggae album and temporarily changed his name to Snoop Lion. It's like the best thing that's ever produced was that line in the song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I just don't think he's riding this wave. I think he's having a little too much fun for this song. I think I think Jamie and, and David are, are in the pocket and they're like totally eye to eye. I think Snoop is doing a little bit too much. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Snoop Dogg on this. There song. is a bit of a quality to it. Yeah. There's, it's not quite the right colors for the canvas. But you know what? Here's where I'll never complain about that is live. I think live it'll just push things up. Uh, Especially know. because Jamie Principal goes, Snoop Dogg. Yeah, definitely. In, in one sense, I almost kind of see this as the Saturn's bars of this record because it's like a little bit out of step with everything that's happening around it at the time on the record that it happens. And like it has a guest performance that I see as being a little bit too personal and not quite on topic. And, and part of me wishes I could move it to like later in the record. Like I almost feel like it belongs like before fireflies or something, but I, but I can't quite do that for structural reasons. So like, right. All of those things <laughs> remind me of Saturn's bars. Uh, my favorite flourish on this song though, is that there's this really like roadie synth line that happens. Uh, at, it starts at the, at the end of Snoop's verse and it like carries through to the end of the track. It's very like, grindy and it's also very simian mobile disco i'm actually looking forward to trevor reviewing the best simian mobile disco album with you in the future attack sustained delay release because uh, oh yeah we're definitely gonna have to talk about that for sure james ford is like an essential member of the family now for sure how how interesting that damon got somebody from a simian mobile disco to produce a record for his gorilla band great choice they found amazing chemistry i think yeah Yep. Okay, I gotta unpack some themes for you here. It the sure. Hollywood shows up on three different songs, like it gets name checked on, on three different songs. It's a very California centric album, which really appeals to me because I live in the state. I wanna look at that motif of Hollywood and try to figure out what it means in kind of the internal drama of this record. Uh so the the official transcript of the lyrics that Damon put out in the deluxe uh the deluxe whatever it is booklet which is a really interesting artifact by the way that booklet it's like 2d's journal yeah it's 2d's journal but it's like full of weird damon sketches uh yeah all a lot of like truisms too and stuff all over the place grotesque and strange this is the one lyric on the on because 100 percent of the lyrics seem to be totally studio accurate to me the one lyric that feels weird to me is that uh, it lists the lyric as Hollywood is vagrant, and I I hear fragrance. I hear I keep hearing fragrant all the time. Uh, but I'm going to roll with vagrant since that's what the author is rolling with here. So mm-hmm. author intention essentially. So a vagrant is a person who bounces from odd job to odd job. They got to hustle to make their ends meet. They they so kind of in a sense like the Hollywood celebrity is like the first world version of the vagrant. You know, they're only kind of as good as their next gig. They're not steadily working their their celebrity could crash at any time and it's not like they have something lined up in a way you know yeah so my read on this refrain is like the world of the entertainer is not inherently evil itself in fact the city of hollywood is is quite lovely so hollywood is all right 
it's but it's full of these people who are under this enormous pressure to make it hollywood is vagrant which breeds this unhealthy competition and that in turn makes the environment miserable and evil so jealousy is gunfire it makes you kill the vibe right yeah and you can definitely draw those parallels to like the music industry or something else too if you'd like to absolutely so it's i like that i like the idea of that hook which is that like it's hollywood isn't the problem it's just the, it's the fucking rat race it's the people that turn it into like this scary nightmare you know mm-hmm. really like it good thing it didn't turn out to be a song defending like uh weinstein or anything <laughs> i i i know him personally just a spoken word section in the middle I, I saw him pick up his kid from school one day i could tell he really loved her <laughs> i really love this next song kansas kansas is a cool one this it's not one of my favorites but it's a very solid album track and it's got plenty of great moments, so let's talk about them. It's in my three-way tie for fourth. Nice. I find it to be highly sing-alongable. I really enjoy belting out to this one. I'm not gonna cry. Really good. The baseline is the is the star here. It's like practically singing a duet with Damon, and I and I think that your enjoyment of this song is probably going to be affected by how you feel about that baseline. I don't really like the way it sounds. I don't mind what it's doing. I just don't love the production on it. Don't love the tone they went with. It's the perfect example of what I was talking about with like modulated gorillas weirdness, mm-hmm. right? There are no weird gorillas songs, just weird gorillas elements. This like this strikes me as a as a good dash of weirdness. Sure. Uh, but but I could definitely see some people saying, eh, I don't know about that, for sure. You know. So I think that much like Humility, this is a song about Jamie and the Gorillas' breakup. Take me through it. Well, I mean, he comes right out the gate with lyrics like, Am I incapable of healing the memory of my fall from grace in your heart? And like when I hear him sing about, like, I'm on my journey home with no fuel alone, I think all coastwile, I don't think about the tour that he's just been on. I think about him reminiscing to the last time he was on a gorillas tour and how it ended with him feeling totally spent and isolated from everyone else and gorillas just falling apart. I agree with that take. Great. I see this song as being a dialogue again, Damon with himself, the the effigy and the man sort of, but also just two perspectives. It's about this cognitive dissonance of of feeling like a failure but wanting to progress uh, through that failure. So like the, the hook is, uh, I'm not gonna cry, and he says it twice, right? Yeah, it, it feels like he's kind of missing his relationship with Jamie while at the same time trying to convince himself that he should move on with a different project. Find another dream. I see the two I'm not gonna cries as having slightly different meanings. Okay. The first one being like a resolved, I'm not gonna cry, you know? I've got more time to give. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, more of a I'm barely hanging on I'm not gonna cry I'm not gonna cry yep uh, find another dream is in like move the fuck on mm-hmm. you know and there's a straight romantic read of that song which I think is a little bit basic and boring but yeah I when I look at it from a career fame success uh, angle like am I incapable of healing the memory of my fall from grace in your heart it, like is in why the fuck can't I stop replaying all of these mistakes and all of these failures, you know? Mm-hmm. The, you, the plastic be chore. I'd even go back to Blur versus Oasis as being something Damon sees as ultimately a, a, not a victory in his career. Sure. Uh, 
And that second verse, there's those references to the Green Hills of Home. Right, which felt like a big throwback to Good, the Bad, and the Queen. Absolutely. But I really locked into the, uh, because I'm about to solve it, put my engine back into overdrive so I can breathe again. It's my favorite part of the song. You texted me a couple days ago about uh, This Kiss by Faith Hill. You were like, I love to hear a pop song with like the phrase centrifugal motion. Yeah. How often do you hear a pop song with photosynthesize (laughs) in it? It's so good. That's my favorite part of the song for sure. I see that lyric as being about the the futile exercise of trying to generate a hit again. Like, yeah. Like, I'm about to solve it. I can crack it this time, you know? (laughs) Saturn's Bars feels like it's really going to be the one, you guys. I'm finally going to be a golden boy again, and I'm going to soak up all that good fame energy. And there's and and it comes to a head during my favorite part, which is the the bridge, which I think is just exquisite. The the uh, uh, but if I got it right, you tell me, and if I was wrong, then I disappear. But I'm incapable. Uh, Parts also very good. In my read of this song, it's like the the way my career is supposed to work for you know a pop star is. Either I make a hit record and everyone loves me, or I fail and I fuck off, but I refuse to fuck off. I'm Damon Albarn and I'm never going to stop, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I'm incapable of, of playing by those rules. I've really kind of come to see that moment as like a deceptively triumphant moment in the song. It's like, it's the moment where the unbreakable spirit of Damon Albarn like refuses to yield and he wins out over his self-doubt. And it's it's really supported by how he transitions into that major key right there on incapable uh-huh. like it's got a, it's got this deceptively triumphant feel to it that like i think there's a secret victory for the for the man damon in the song i really like this song quite a bit trevor i think there are a lot of victories all throughout this album we frequently see damon like rising above self-doubt do you get any swagger vibes here i think that the double slap reverb and the and the kind of like mournful balladeering feels a little swagger to me i didn't um at the beginning but now that you mention it i think those la la la's uh that serve as the bed for that uh second verse or bridge or whatever that is about the green hills that feels very swagger now that i think about it yeah there's something about this almost makes me feel like like maybe this is the kind of track we would have heard on on seasides had that not been scrapped you know like there's a, there's a, obviously that record only exists in all of our imagination, but there's some very phase three feeling moments on this record, and somehow this kind of falls into that category for me. I can't quite articulate why, though. I could I could see that, though. Yeah. Although Seaside, yeah, it does kind of just exist in the Gorillaz fandom collective conscious. Uh, I think you cited this next one as a, as a lower point for you, Trevor. Is that true? Yeah, probably in the bottom three. Uh, Sorcerers. this is probably like my third least favorite on this record probably yeah i mean i mean it's good like uh like i I really dig the vibes and sounds damon's working with here it's like there's something about this one that really reminds me of like the chill wave genre that blew up back in like 2009 oh good point yeah definitely maybe like some touches of like exotica here and there especially with the percussion it almost sounds like a cup come from like a thievery corporation song definitely but like while i like it musically there isn't a lot of like uh there aren't really a ton of lyrical themes here that i feel like i can really dig into and 
I don't know. Something about Damon's performance doesn't. I don't. I'm not sold on it as much as I am on the ones on the other songs. His performance is my favorite thing about this song. Actually, I, I think it's, he's got a lot of weird like ticks and groans and croaks here, and he's like, you know, delaying his release at times in ways that I find interesting. I just think that there's too much of the chorus. I think that it's a it's a fine chorus, but it's just almost the whole song. I like the. You know, what is this drumming? That bit is, is mm-hmm. I like it. I just wish that it was like, like cut the second half of that chorus and then insp- expand that what is this drumming section into like an actual verse. That would definitely help the song too. Although I do really like when the synthesizers repeat the chorus melody. That's like my favorite part. It's just like really groovy. I, I also kind of like how, like there's a few moments on the intros of these songs, Trevor, where it sounds very iPad-y, like before the full instrumentation kicks in where you just kind of like start with a synth and like a little clicky iPad beat. Yeah. And this is the first of those and it feels very fall in a way that's fun, I think. That's like one of the biggest chill wave moments for me. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I like the percussion there. There's a, there's a really good like far off sounding like siren that shows up after each chorus. That's my favorite flourish on this song. There are like sirens all over this record and it's made it a little hard for me to listen to this album when I drive. I'm always looking over my shoulder. <laughs> I feel But that. there's like one here, there's one on Lake Zurich. I feel like there's like a third one even later on the record but I don't know so there's that moment in that noisy inter- interview you remember the great one with the with the full band from the beginning of this phase uh, where Russell like is talking about how 2D is, is a man transformed and he says he's a guide for these complicated modern times and sort of a, a newfound prophet or whatever uh, this song feels like the pinnacle of that version of 2D where he's sort of making explicit commands to his audience you know everybody cool down everybody, et cetera, et cetera, you know? Yeah. I want to look at this song's multiple references to inner visions, though, because I think that that is another, like, key to unlocking the themes of this record. Um, so so the immediate advice is to chill the fuck out and, like, check in with how you're doing, you know? Everybody see yourself. Everybody cool down. It's not difficult to see that as being, like, a direct uh, reference to the kind of overwhelming panic that we're all in in this terrible post-Trump dystopian uh, world that we're in. Uh-huh. Uh, Clearly still on Damon's definitely. mind. But once you've kind of put that fire out and you're meditating and you're seeing yourself, the advice is to hold on to your inner vision, Trevor. And to me, this feels like a plea to like figure out who your authentic self is and what you truly believe and then remain true to it, right? But then he later says everybody mining their inner vision. And here's where I think the fame career ambition motif really comes into focus for me like mining your inner vision is a lot like turning yourself into an effigy it's like taking what's real about yourself and then turning it into a commodity is it a lot like pimping a butterfly as well it's like pimping a butterfly trevor it's like pimping a butterfly okay i'm on board Judy's advice here is not to do that almost in a way that feels like you know trust me i've been down this road you don't want what i've got like stop making this stop cancel your youtube channel now because it gets ugly <laughs> express yourself but don't let it be commodified exactly interesting number three on the album idaho fuck everything i said on the emergency episode is my third favorite song on this record <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, Idaho is also my number three. This one rules. Who would have thought? No one would have ever guessed. 
Idaho is a highlight on this record. I said on Thursday I thought it was one of the worst songs on the record. It's my third favorite on this record. It's so good, dude. But, like, seriously, watching watching the Boiler Room set, they just haven't figured it out yet live. Oh, it still sucks live, totally. But they nailed it here on the album. It is so good. They honestly need to fix it or cut it because it bothers me to listen to it being played that way. They need to turn the guitar down and do what they did on the record and have it be a super floaty like synth bed organ driven number. This is a a textural feast, this fucking song. I mean, that howling wind that starts to like climb higher and higher and there's very quiet strings and and the the drums sound like dripping water and and the 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 organ that like explodes during the chorus it sounds like a a sunrise on the on the plains like yeah the choruses are so big and spacious and pretty i think they really capture the kind of like panoramic beauty that more remote areas of the United States can be capable of. I know I called out the first verse and chorus of trans as being like some of my favorite gorillas lyrics ever, but it, but the first time I locked into the second verse of Idaho, I was left breathless and I want to read it. How about I read the first verse and you read the second one? Go for it. Go for it. I landed on the silver lake, washed up and feeling blue, heard the sound of footsteps drifting softly to the moon. Looking for clear water, I had to take control. Out there in the wilderness, another bullet hole. I like that so much. It's so, like, atmospheric, and there's almost something, like... It makes me think of, like, magical realism when he talks about, like, footsteps drifting softly up to the moon and stuff like that. It's really cool. Dude, dude, on my mother's life, magical realism is in my notes for this song. Great. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so you've got this kind of weightless moment. You've got this, like this melancholic Damon Albarn, he's he's dropped into this natural world, right? And then in that second verse, floated out into the woods to hear the old elk call, touched a rainbow with my hands, I'm dry, I got them all. Right on, said the king of cool, you've got nothing to lose. Tinseltown is down the road, it's the bullet or the noose, if you're playing it all for gods far away. Great. Okay, so in the second verse, <laughs> he sets off in search for the old elk call, have you ever heard an elk call or an elk bugle before, Trevor? No, but I can imagine it, it. And it feels like a great metaphor here. It's wild. It's It starts with this, like, guttural groan, and then it, like, suddenly becomes this, like, piercing whistle. It's insane sounding. So he's he's going off trying to find this, this sound, right? Uh, and, and in my read, he encounters this bull elk in the plains of Idaho. Some kind of like forest god. He is the king of cool. Yeah, he's he's this he's this 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 eldritch ancient forest spirit, and it love it. It speaks to him and says, "Keep going, you know, right on. You have everything you ever need, and the people you're trying to impress can't take those fundamental things away from you. You've got nothing to lose." You know, you're going to end up in Hollywood, and it's going to be full of demons, and it's going to seem like it's kill or be killed, you know, the bullet or the noose. Either you kill or, or you die, right? Yep. But that's only true if you decide to join in that rat race. If you rise above it, it won't get you that way. If you're playing it all for God, it's far away, right? So that move, God, it's just such a great moment, Trevor. It's such a great moment where – and also it helps that that, that, that melody – if you're playing it all for gods, that might be the most like explicitly blur melody moment on a gorilla song to me. It's so blurry. 
I could see that. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. This album frequently transgresses into blurred territory, which like I'm, I'm not opposed to. I'm only marginally sad that this song lost the Bruce Willis reference from its tour lyrics, but but I most I was going to ask you about that. I could have sworn him name checking Bruce Willis in the lyrics. Like he did, but I think it's where was I it? Think it's in the first verse, but I but I think it's better that it stays like just kind of in the world of the wood sprite and the nymph and, and a, yeah. a lost Englishman who convenes with some sort of animus god in the deep plains of the American heartland. They just like It might have been a little distracting. It might have been a little distracting. What do you make of the of silver linings getting lost? Because I, I eventually came to some understanding of that line and I went well, that speaks to I think that speaks to one of my relatives like uh traveled when I talked about how like this is an album made when you get home from vacation rather than uh, one you make while on vacation. And I wanted to talk more in depth about the chorus and specifically about there's a beauty on the road because that's one of my favorite lyrics on the album. Beautifully delivered too. Very warmly, richly delivered. I think that's one of the most telling about how this album is different than The Fall because like maybe The Humans Tour was just a much better experience than the one that birthed The Fall. I'm sure it was. But I think the fact that Damon waited until the tour was over to actually finish The Now Now might have had a lot to do with how much more positive it seems to be. Because like with The Fall... Damon was writing and recording in moments which found him so fixated on the negative aspects of his situation that not a lot of light or beauty was really able to shine through and make its way into that record. And he was also like constantly updating the the drearier and more terrible stats about how his record was failing as he did it. But the Now Now is like a post-tour album recorded by someone who's had enough time to distance himself from the negative experience of the trip and put them away in favor of focusing on the good memories he made. So like, I think that's Damon thinking about how like, you know, silver linings of bad experiences can often like slip away when you're focusing on the negative ones. Fuck yes. Fuck yes. And also, this is very similar. My interpretation is very similar, where it's like the silver linings getting lost, I, I almost see as like the more connected to this beautiful natural world I'm seeing on the road, the less my arguments for wanting to still try to do this fucking rock star thing make sense to me. You know, like. Sure well, it's miserable, but there's a silver lining. You know, you get to be with these cool people. You get to work with blah, blah, blah. It's like the silver linings are, are make less and less sense the more kind of natural, regular guy world he, he encounters. I like that, too. I think that's a pretty good read, too, yeah. He went fly fishing in Idaho, you know? Like, he had a fucking... He, he went wild man out there. He might have really met a forest god. It's possible, yeah. I can just picture him, like, c- communing with a giant elk. This stately, wise elk, known as the King of Cool, who I imagine having this, like, impossible giant crown of antlers is my new favorite Gorillas character. Love it. <laughs> He's the fifth member of Gorillas. Very on board. Can we get some fan art, please? Somebody? Yeah, somebody draw the king of cool for god's sake i love that i love i love hearing damon say there's a beauty on the road though because i can just picture him having a much better time on the humans tour and like looking out the window of the bus at some of the same landscape that he passed on the plastic beach tour and he was too bummed out to really appreciate and just going like why is the fall such a gloomy record this place is actually pretty nice yeah fuck yeah right it's so great to have a like a a happier sequel to the fall it really feels like we've come such a long way it's such a satisfying continuing of that arc you know yep and and i wanted to i know you 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 play guitar so maybe you'll kind of get where i'm coming from here so i really like this chord progression because it kind of starts in this like really bog standard like gac country place but at the end of the phrase it it takes this little half step up 
and it sounds like suddenly so kind of mystical and otherworldly. You know what I'm talking about? That yeah, the verses don't resolve the way you would expect them to. Like you think that, that kind of yeah. weird, it it sounds like the chord progression version of like taking a walk through the plains and then you end up meeting an old spirit and he gives you career advice. You end up accidentally <laughs> slipping into another plane of existence. I like that a lot. That's very cool. I I also my favorite flourish on the song, and there's so many sounds on the song, Trevor. But when he says to find the old elk call, there's a little hand whistle in the back. Do you hear that? That little—it's so good. That's the elk call. I love it. That's the elk call. Mike Mike Smith is their live coordinator, Trevor. He needs to fucking fix Idaho, or they need to cut it. I I will not stand. Yeah, I I hope they figure out how to make it sound as good live on stage as it does on the record. And I'm just so glad that we both ended up being. Such big fans of this track. It's such a good track, and I will not it's stand great. for that version I heard at the Boiler Room. They gotta, they have to fix that. This next one though sounded great live. Lake Zurich. Oh my god, better live than on the record, and I started with the record version. After the couple weeks that we've been spending with it, it feels it still sounds so good and so confident. Just a really killer instrumental jam. Oh, yeah. I haven't faded on this one at all. I think it's great in the sequence, too. It's like this really necessary espresso shot after Idaho kind of leaves you in this. Yeah, it takes you into the second half of the record. Absolutely. It, it does what Humility did for the first half of the record. Zurich does for the second half. You know, it like mm-hmm. it gets you, you set up straight, open your eyes, you know? Yeah. Are you, do you still think that little that little thing at the end is a synth and not a vocal? It's it sounds like a sounds like a synth vocal patch or something. I don't think it's somebody singing. Yeah, I could see either way. I still haven't quite decided if we ever get to fucking sit down and nerd out with like Steve Sedgwick about gear. I'll, I'll ask him. <laughs> do you think this song originally had more substantial vocals because Damon did say he sang on every track? I don't know. And good friend of the program and honorary Howie Monkey Max and Stenstrom said that this song is perfectly like formatted and suited for vocals and that if it had vocals he could have seen it being a big hit yeah i don't know it's it's possible uh i i would have to know more about the demoing process and we've actually gotten some weird little leaks about the demoing process trevor like for example originally in demo form hollywood slash west hollywood was one song that it was hollywood and, and sukai so there's a, there's a whole different tour version of this record so i don't know necessarily interesting I'd love to hear a version of this with some kind of scrap vocals because I think that could be cool too. But I do like it as an instrumental. Me too. And 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 I mean, we talked about it before, but the best flourish on this song, in my opinion, are those fucking bells, man. God yeah. damn. Oh man, they're they're great. You know, James Ford actually drummed for the Claxons for a while. He's like a pretty a pretty established uh, drummer. That's pretty cool. I still I, yeah. I really like the Damon spoken word that comes in the middle too. It's we have an official transcript of that now. In the morning, it came to me. Build a tunnel from Zurich to New York. I find it hard to share this with anyone, because even to me it sounded ridiculous. But one morning, after a long, complicated night, I made my mind up to share my vision with the world. Everything that follows, I'm not responsible for. I'm sure you can sense where some of my thematic things are going to come up in this. (laughs) Sure, yeah, tell me, because I just, this just makes me think of, like, Damon, like, pulling an Elon Musk or something and coming in one morning like, Gorillas isn't a band anymore. It's a tunneling company. We're going to make tunnels. <laughs> no album for Phase 6. We're going to make a tunnel. Well, you're not far off because in the YouTube AMA, Russell said that this song is about Elon Musk's Hyperloop. <laughs> oh, great. There you go. I, I read this as allegorical, though, and I think Damon is talking about the moment when he stops holding on to his inner vision and decides to mine it. Uh, when, he's, when he, you know, I made up my mind to share my vision with the world. 
everything that follows, I'm not responsible for it. AKA, I'm no longer in control. You know, like once it's out there, everybody, it belongs to everybody. And I also kind of belong to everybody, you know? Sure. Yeah. So in the allegory of the song, the, the tunnel from Zurich to New York could just be like this weird nonsensical idea that represents like what all artistic visions kind of feel like before they're realized a little silly, a little weird. You feel a little embarrassed that you might even say it out loud because people might laugh at you, you know? Mm -hmm. But then one potential read is that it could also be allegorically talking about blending musical ideas because, like, aside from extreme doom metal bands like uh, Coroner or whatever, Zurich is is really known as, like, a dance music hub and it's the site of the, the street fair, which is, like, one of the biggest techno EDM events in the world. And then, like... Meanwhile, New York City is the birthplace of disco, and Lake Zurich does kind of sound a little bit like what happens if you mix those styles together, in my opinion, you know? Yeah, I could see that. Zurich to New York, there is, there's maybe something to that. But but I, I do like the, the idea, there's something, what I like about that spoken word is, like, the embarrassment of, of saying a weird idea out loud. That's what, what I really get drawn to. Yeah, that definitely makes the quote, I think. Do you want to talk about my number one song on the record, Magic City? This is this is the second of my three-way tie for fourth. I, I'm also a big fan. This feels like the real climax of the album. It's like another song that finds Damon in the thick of a tour and longing for home, but feels but here it feels like he's more determined to reach the end of his journey than he has been in the past. And I think it sounds like he's enjoying the ride too. This one really makes him sound more like an adventurer on some kind of expedition than like a musician on a tour. I think it's fantastic. I think the intro is like, it's one of my favorite moments in a gorilla song. It always perks me up when it comes on. It's so much fun with that bouncing bass and that, that stellar drumming. The drumming on this song is so fucking good, Trevor. It's so good. The intro's, the intro's really great, but my favorite part has to be that drop in the middle after he says, Magic City, let me go. And then all those like the, swirling yeah. synths come piling in from everywhere and just... He starts singing Magic City, and that leads into like such a great second verse, the one about being in the penthouse and painted red, white, and blue and filling the canyon with your ego. Just really great. Definitely. Definitely. I love it. I think Damon's vocals here are so languished, and I think that they're beautiful and vulnerable, but I almost wish I could hear a slightly more confident and straightforward take from Damon on this one, because I think there's some melodic ideas that get a little bit buried in the performance, in my opinion. Oh, I don't think so at all. I think he's really at the top of his game here, especially when you hit that second verse. It really feels like he's just selling it. Yeah, as bouncy and gorgeous as the song sounds, it definitely strikes me as one of the darker moments on this record. Um, I come to see this song as kind of being about the corporately co-opted effigy Damon in this in this self-reflective place where he kind of hopes he gets to be a real boy again soon mm -hmm. the key verse you mentioned it a couple of times the second i'll quote it uh you put me up here in the penthouse and painted me in red white and blue i filled the canyons with my ego look there's a billboard on the moon so the the magic city it's like this impossible man-made heaven that that the devil offers you in exchange for your inner vision right and it's full of penthouses and perks and the corporate sponsorship money is out of control. There's billboards on that goddamn moon, Trevor, and you've co-opted me into your corporate culture. 
to the point that now we're designing these Red Bull cans and there's an app that'll play a snippet of my song when you look at something that's pink and you're living in this heightened world of excess. It's very easy to get lost, Trevor. It's very easy for your ego to grow to disgusting, you know, heights and legs and yeah. Sometimes you got to turn your robot off. To me, it's, it this feels like a sort of a sad effigy Damon soliloquy, you know, at the top of this beautiful penthouse that the devil gave you. But it feels like he's going to push through. Yes, it feels like it, he's in the process of the of the great purge. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I know you don't like this next song, and I'm very fond of it. So I, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to deal with this dissonance between us, Trevor. Fireflies, another one that's kind of in like the bottom three for me, maybe. I wish that I had noticed you cited as a low point for you during our emergency episode. I definitely would have stuck up for it, but I, but I really really like Fireflies. I love the dread and the drama of this one. I think it has this... It's definitely a downer, yeah. And there's more, like, kind of plotting synths and, like, goopy sounds. It really sounds like we're in the mire here. It's got a really intense, like, rolling drive, which I totally attribute to that very strange time signature. It's like, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. It's very interesting. I do kind of like the way that this one moves. It's got, like, a nice bounce to it. And I just like the slow build of it. I love how stormy it ends up at the end. It really does remind me of a certain kind of, like, Radiohead song, like Exit Music or, or A Wolf at the Door, the kind that feels like it... It descends and get dark. It gets darker, but it also gets bigger and crazier as it gets darker. You know, there's like yeah, I could kind of see that. Actually, one of my favorite things about this song uh, are the lyrics. I'm a really big fan of those. Like especially that second verse. If you say goodbye too many times, the sentinels will find me and switch me off this time. Because all my fears invading, all the crazies put on buses and sent up here to find you. Living on the limits. A key, a key lyric, in my opinion, on this track, Trevor. I, there's, again, you could do a really boring romantic read on this lyric, but I definitely see this one as being an internal dialogue between Effigy Damon and Real Damon, Trevor. Uh, so so if you say goodbye too many times, the Sentinels will find me and switch me off this time. Basically, the more times Damon does this, the more times he goes on rock star dalliances and says goodbye to the Real Damon the more he runs the risk of them turning it off for good, of the effigy daemon becoming the real daemon, you know? I love that we're firmly in shadow doppelganger territory now. Love it, love it! Okay, so all my fears invading, all the crazies put on buses and set up here to find you living in the limits. I read that as a reference to the touring band, going out on the bus, mm-hmm. uh, living these, like, excessive debaucherous lives in the pursuit of these fireflies, which are these in- ever-vanishing promises of, like, happiness and fulfillment through like sex and drugs and fame and success you know sometimes i follow a firefly it takes me into the night so like sometimes my id takes over and things get really dark and then baby i just survive i got drunk i'm sorry am i losing you you come down from this wild goose chase the next day trevor and you've lost a little piece of yourself like aka when the morning comes are we still human trevor love it the same very good the same idea yep and if and if you i love this lyric all you ever get from the sonnet is the count of the fallen man and i really see this as the misery of making a piece of art the sonnet right from it Mm -hmm. a genuine place but then all you get to do afterwards is like watch the statistics how's it selling do the critics like it what do the fans think the count of the fallen man, you know? You were in the kind of game that put the force in me. Exactly. Every yeah. calling cost made to your heart. which You know, you pay for this shit in little pieces of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Because you put yourself into this art 
and then you're and then it gets a six point eight on Pitchfork, and part of you has to die. Yeah, part of you will die when you see that six point eight, no matter how above it you are, Trevor. Sure, I love the thematic read of this song. It breaks it wide open for me. It's totally, great. I'm very on board with that, and I, I like that very you've gotten enjoyable. you've gotten into this version of the album where there are two Damons, and I, I I'm interested in. Like connecting that to stuff like the duality in the title, like the now, now, like there are two nows, there are two Damon. Oh yeah, good point. Didn't even think of that. I'm a big fan of doubles. Yeah, doubles are a big thing. Uh, can we talk about what I think might be the biggest shrug on the record? Might be my least favorite track on the record. One percent. Ever Sure, 1%. I, I like this one, but I can see people not being crazy about it. And yeah, it's definitely not a highlight, but I like what it's doing. It's still good. It's still good. It just, it, it strikes me as like just over the line past interlude into song. So it just feels a little bit thin, I guess. Maybe why I find myself kind of wanting to root for this one is because when it first started, I thought it was going to be a total toss off. Like, oh, okay. It's just some kind of like cloud of a knowing thing, except we don't have Bobby Womack this time. But I really do like what Damon's doing here. I like the the, the melody of it. I like the lyrics. I, I like what's going on. It's very expressionist. It's not a pop song. There's this really interesting uh, uh, like synth bridge that's very bold and very spectral and kind of makes me vision like a like a 1980s high school slow dance on on Mars or something. It's very interesting. It's very inter, intergalactic feeling because there's there's a lot of like spacey noise happening here. Uh, yeah, I get. I, I think I get less intergalactic and more like ethereal. I can feel that, and, and it almost feels like the the kind of like downer brother of Sleeping Powder musically, just for like the picking pattern and the chords that he's working with here. But it like goes in this really much more like languid place, you know. Mm-hmm. I there's this really cool. Do you like my favorite little flourish here? If you want to call it that, is that is the the way the track ends with those footsteps. I really like that. Something about like all the sounds dying down and these footsteps kind of taking you out of the song. I really like something about that. I feel like it's something we haven't really heard in a Gorillaz song before. I agree. This one's also pretty lovely live, in my opinion. It has a very nice vibe and lots of Damon piano, which I think is really nice. Uh, yeah, I'll be interested in seeing if it sticks around in the track list when they uh, tour it. But I could see them cutting it, but I'd, I'd be a little bit bummed if they did, because I think it's it's kind of a nice take. I, I really like it. I think this one is more important to the flow of the album than like an actual like great piece of music that I want to listen to all the time. So I'd be fine with them not showing up on the set list, but I definitely wouldn't mind seeing it live. I do have a read on this one, but it's pretty abstract and kind of weird. So I'll just kind of quickly go through it. I was really more inspired by your take on the fall and the, you know, the Campbellian monomyth of the idea that we're all telling the same story over and over again. Yep. Uh, But more applied to songwriting. So it's like, it's this idea that the songs are all being written unconsciously, like working to receive this divine transmission and communicate it musically, like no matter who's writing it, you know? So like every sound receives you essentially. Uh, and then like the other thing worth pointing out is this is the third lake that is referred to on this record. So there's like Lake Zurich, Cupid's Lake gets mentioned uh, in uh, in trans. And then in this one, he talks about the low lake. Yep. Fly fishing on Bruce Willis's resort definitely had an impression on him. Definitely. And he calls the, this lake is the low lake. He calls it the training ground for the new world. Uh, I'm still kind of unpacking that, but I feel like there is something distinct about what these three lakes kind of represent on the record. Cupid's maybe being mm-hmm. like 
the debauchery excess hedonism lake and like lake zurich being about the inner artist spirit maybe and then like maybe the low lake is i don't know it's so i can't i haven't unpacked this one yet i'm still working on it and it's no help that in the deluxe uh booklet page for this song trevor there's this really weird uh illustration that damon did of something that looks like a like a weird missile, and it says, here comes the orange bombs on it. So Yeah, strange. There could be some, like, apocalyptic or Trumpian imagery in here that I'm not getting either. So Maybe. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I don't know. It's very impressionistic. Very impressionistic. But I think it sets up the closer of the album perfectly, my number two on the record, Sukai. Very cool. Not not uh, unlike Sorcerers, I think this one starts off sounding very iPad demo, and then it becomes this bulky, fully fleshed out thing. There's definitely there's definitely a build later on, yeah, where everything really starts happening, and I like that part. This one like took the longest to open up to me. It was I was really kind of ready to call this one a meh. Really? Yeah, but then once I cracked into the themes, like it, it also started to sonically open up for me. And I think th- this rounds out my like three way tie for number four. I really like this one. I'm interested in hearing how you dug into this one's themes because now that I've started clicking with like your read of the album, I want so badly to read this as like a weird kind of pseudo love song from like. Damon the real boy to Damon the effigy and like back and forth and maybe it's about how like they they really need each other but they can't really function together and it's there's a tragedy to that it's very close to that it's extremely close to that so tell me about it okay so well first of all I'll just say that I think the verse melody is probably the thing that took that took me the longest to warm up to because it's like pretty minimal just the opening verse melody but I really like it a lot I've 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 gotten into it the more I've listened to it. I really dig it. It feels so loungy. Like this could almost be a sequel to She's My Caller. It almost there's a there's a very there's a Bond vibe going on here. Have you noticed that when that really dramatic bass synth kicks in, it sounds so much like the main synth from Trans, like almost to the point of being a reprise of it? No, but that's interesting. I'll have to go back and listen. Yeah, go back to that. It's, you can almost hear the boop boops in it if you if you if you squint your ears like hard enough or something. The synths in this one are crazy. They there are parts where they sound like horns and they sound like strings and I don't know if there really were those instruments in the studio, but if not, they did a really convincing job of making this sound like a really fleshed out one. Or or, or how about this how about this moment that like lasts for like two seconds in the song at the very end you hear Damon playing these like really weird improvised jazzy chords on his piano that's like it's this weirdly ungorillas moment. It, it it almost feels like an Ike Turner moment right at the end of the track where he's like hammering like crazy on his piano. Very interesting. My favorite thing about the end of this track has gotta be that a little like the little drawn out kind of like marimba solo going on. That's just such a nice way to leave things. Definitely. Okay, so this almost reads like Damon's retirement song if we like didn't explicitly know that he has some more albums in the pipeline, Trevor. A little bit, uh, a little bit. <clears throat> so delivering on the wisdom that he got from the King of Cool back in Idaho. So Damon's back in Los Angeles. He's now disconnected himself from this game, and he's he's able to see how much beauty was actually all around him in L.A., which he was like terrified to get there. 
just kind of beyond the Cupid Lake Magic City Tinseltown, you know, there's like these rolling waves, there's these freaky geeky party people that he's been ignoring, you can see it in their eyes. Love this lyric, why are you looking so beautiful to me now when you're so sad? Because it really makes me think of like, the record industry is, is on such a state of life support, like this is probably the last record Damon will make for Warner Music. Warner Music is just downsizing and jettisoning artists all the time, and his contract only takes him through this record anyway, right? So it's like, he's not afraid of the Big Bad Wolf anymore, because the Big Bad Wolf is, like, sad and tired and sick, right? Mm -hmm. And he, and and Effigy Damon is, is part of that monster, too, part of the monster of L.A., but he's, like, he's made his peace with these successes and these failures and he's forgiving himself and he's forgiving these shitty industry people and now he's waiting on LA to come find me and be forgiven you know he's waiting to say like I don't care it's okay you know I will always think about you it's like instead of never healing from his fall from grace he just accepts all the heights all the depths and how kind of blessed and beautiful the whole ride was and he's not afraid of being lost anymore so he calls out from isolation for that one last hurrah you know that's why i'm calling you back i gotta run soon you know before he turns back into a normal guy and says goodbye to the effigy daemon once and for all it's like let's get together for one last crazy night together in los angeles because i know that i have enough inner strength now to do it and not lose myself you know love it this is Damon and his effigy hitting the town. Really good. Really good. Yeah. I'm, I'm so glad this episode turned out the way it did because I think we really did a great job cracking open the fall back when I had a big revelation about that. And I think you have had a you have had a similar revelation That's about exactly. this, the second Damon Focus <laughs> tour album. I, I think we've, I think yeah. between you and me, we've got these records down. We got these records fucking down, dude. We've, we've yep. totally obliterated the nun now. But maybe, maybe you at home disagree with us. <laughs> And that's why I thought it would be a great idea for us to open up the phone lines. What do you say to that? Yeah, let's uh, let's give out our number and hear what the fans have to say. You can call into the show, and we'll put together a little uh, montage like we did for the fall of people giving their opinions about this one. Are we going to include both positive and negative reviews so we get like an even spread? Oh, of course we are. Of course. Cool. So yeah, if you're not particularly feeling this one... Don't feel like that should prevent you from calling in and adding your voice to the crowd. What's burning a hole in your opinion pocket? Do you have a crazy theory about what this album is all about? Do you love it? Do you hate it? You should give us a call. 585-666-1233. 585-666-1233. To leave your opinions on the Now Now and we'll play it next week. But we also want to kind of like unveil this new little segment, right? Right. Now that we've put out the call for... <laughs> our listeners' opinions, we're going to wrap up our review with a new segment that we're going to call Moments. 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 <laughs> we have three Gorillatives. We have three favorite songs in the album. Three's the magic number, as De La Soul says. So I thought we should have a, a third feature that has three things. And what better way to sum up how we feel about a record than to talk about our three favorite parts or moments of the album. Absolutely. Are, are we ready? Should we trade off back and forth? I think so, starting with number three and then going to number one. What's, what was your third favorite moment on the Now Now? Definitely when Damon whips out his falsetto on the trans chorus. Do you dance like this? So good. So beautiful. Cool. My third favorite moment, not on one of my top three, actually, but it's the climax of humility when Damon is singing the chorus over the lyrics from the bridge and all those synths really start going nuts for that big final swell. Oh, it's so good. It's like it's like soaking in, a, in an 85-degree swimming pool. A little bit, a little bit. Uh, I I like when the drums kick in on Magic City. I'm scarcely happier to be listening to a Gorilla song 
in that moment at the beginning of Magic City when those fucking drum kicks in, man, it just makes me feel real goddamn good. I love it. What a coincidence. That's your second favorite part because my second favorite moment is the drop in Magic City after that first chorus when all those shit, yeah. synths really come in. Goddamn good, man. So what's your favorite moment on the new Gorillaz album? The now, now. It shouldn't come as any surprise to you, Trevor. When when the elk god tells David the secret to visiting Los Angeles without getting drunk and fucking somebody regrettable, it is my favorite moment on this. Maybe on any gorilla song. <laughs> that is definitely one for the ages. And we are really on the same page here because my number one favorite moment is Damon looking out the tour bus and thinking, there's a beauty on the road. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Idaho. Who would have thought? Oh, love it. He really did fucking pull it off, I think. Don't you? I think I think he did. Yep, Damon has done it once Jesus again. Jesus Christ. What a good album. I'm so happy it's what part a, what of a the good album. It's part of the 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 tale of gorillas now, you know? Something we didn't God. know we needed, we didn't know we wanted, but it's here and we love it. What a blessing. What a blessing. Every day's a gift. So excited for this for this tour to shape up. What do you think is there a version of this North American tour where where the road vibes get Damon reaching back into fall material? Is that a possibility? Is that going to happen? I don't know. Do you think he's pushing his luck and he's like going to get too much of a good thing? And he's like, I can do gorillas now. But it turns out maybe maybe he can't. What are the odds that like two months from now he's like, I'm writing another gorillas album on the road. <laughs> and then next year he tours it and writes another one and it just keeps going forever. <laughs> Hey, more albums to talk about on the podcast. I'm all for it. Uh, we love the content, David. Keep it coming. <laughs> keep it coming. And keep your content coming. Once again, 585-666-1233 for your Now Now thoughts. Or if you're, by the way, if you're not uh, a U.S. Uh, uh, listener, I'm sorry that we don't have an option for you to call in just yet. But you can email your thoughts to me, howlyoumonkeys at gmail.com. You can either record yourself uh, and send it over an audio file, or you can just, you know, write out your opinion. And if, if you got something interesting to say, there's no, there's no telling. We might read it on the show. Who knows? Yeah, who knows? Do you want to tell everyone else where they can find us online? Absolutely. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Tumblr, Amino. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes, soundcloud.com slash howlyoumonkeys. Join that goddamn Patreon Keys Club. We got a new episode coming out a little late because of my illness and whatnot. Oh, my God. I'm really looking forward to this one, though. The episode about Neil Cicerega's mouth silence. And Oh, it's going to be it's going to be one for the ages. <laughs> like, full disclosure, I was going through some weird mood swings uh, while recording that episode. So I think it's probably going to make for like an interesting listen. Yeah, you. Were, I think you were a cantankerous Trevor Ickrath in a way that was really fun. Uh, a little bit. And also, I want to point this out because we I've been such a bad co-host and haven't made mention of it, but you have a My Chemical Romance podcast now, Trevor. Oh, have we not? Have we not mentioned no. that on the show? Yeah, I, I host a uh, podcast about the band My Chemical Romance uh, Jesus. with my friend and coworker, Ben Pitt. He's a great guy. He knows a lot about the band and... It's fun to talk about them with him. I, I got to say, the episode you guys have out right now, I'm a big fan of it. I'm not a My Chemical Romance guy. I'm on the record as not being a My Chemical Romance guy. But, you know, there's something very infectious about the two of you guys doing your thing. Really enjoy it. Yeah, you can you can find that on iTunes or SoundCloud. It's called uh, Still Not Okay, a My Chemical Romance fan cast. We're uh, perpetually just about to record the second episode but we'll we'll get there within the next couple days or weeks or it's coming hey maybe now that i've plugged you you'll finally have a little little fire under your under your feet 
Speaking of plugs, uh, Maxton and I also recently released a new episode of One Hit Wonders of the World where we talked about I Wish by Skilo. I had a lot of fun with that. Super good. Very fun. Uh, I wish that you would all go and subscribe to One Hit Wonders of the World. It's a fucking fantastic podcast. And it won't take up that much time in your weekly listening because it doesn't update very often. But it's so good. No, it's a little occasional, but it's it's still fun. Always nice to see it pop up in the feed, right? Oh, hey, here's a quick thing. Uh, if you're in, a listener to this podcast and you live in the South Carolina area can you get in touch with me howliamarquis at gmail.com got a little project i'm working on uh would like to use you for it if you listen to this show and you live in south carolina so just say hi i live in south carolina and send me an email <laughs> do we want to like plug our personal twitters too because i recently made like a, a, a public one for podcasting plugs and stuff like that oh sure i can't say that you won't be scandalized by my jokes but you can follow me on twitter uh at dylan flynn and mine is uh at trevor ickrath but with all the vowels taken out so it's t-r-v-r-k-r-t-h trevor Kurth. definitely yeah follow us because then you'll be like a true howly you monkeys fan yeah. who follows both of the hosts we'll see everything that goes on behind the scenes yeah definitely uh we love you guys we love this album i love you trevor i'm excited for phase five more than ever and i'm excited to keep living with this record and, and enjoying it and letting it uh, burrow into my subconscious i love gorillas i love gorillas i love hosting a podcast about them and I love you. Oh, you guys. And I love all the listeners out at home. Yeah, fuck yeah. Also them. And until you leave us weird phone messages and then maybe we'll reevaluate. <laughs> Don't do that. Don't do that. So until next time, I'll just say that I have been Trevor Ickraft. And I've been the king of cool, Dylan Flynn. Don't get lost in heaven. Dead out. Ah.